Welcome to the Nobody Guide to Life, where we provide tips and tools for personal growth, personal development, and your spiritual journey that you can use right now in your everyday life. I'm J.A. Plosker. Thank you for joining us. Find out more at nobodysview.com or thenobodybible.com, or you can check us out at Twitter and Facebook at Nobody's View. You can also join the Simple Spirituality Group on Facebook. If you like what you hear, we'd welcome a subscription or a review. We'd appreciate it. So years ago, I remember riding horses on my uncle's farm. Now, he doesn't have that farm anymore, but I still have the memories, although I have to admit they're a little hazy. But what I can remember is the feeling of, of freedom, the wind, the speed. I, I can also really remember my uncle's love for those amazing animals. And I, I think if you've ever had an animal companion as an integral part of your life, then you understand the love they can bring uh, into your life. And, you know, you may think you're caring for them, but it, it probably, if you really think about it, was the other way around. In so many ways, animals care for us and they can be really powerful partners in healing and personal growth. And my guest this week knows this really well. Christine Badu is an inspirational speaker, writer, and highly trained experiential coach. And she passionately promotes the learning and healing that occurs between horses and humans. Christine is the founder of Equine Experiential Coaching, which she operates at the Tierra Madre Horse Sanctuary out of Cave Creek, Arizona. And she's dedicated to improving the quality of life for both horses and humans through her coaching sessions, workshops, and retreats. She's a mom to her two favorite teachers, daughter Isabel and son Alex, and now she is with us today. Welcome, Christine. Hi, happy to be here. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy, as I said, to be here and to chat with you. Well, thank you. You know, you this is such an interesting, I almost don't even want to call it a resume. It's like this living, breathing connection between humans and animals. That's so interesting. Why, why horses? What is that connection? I've never really seen this kind of coaching focus before. Why that connection between you and horses? Well, thank you for asking. I have to say why horses was a good question for myself. It, it really happened as part of my spiritual and healing path. I am a lifelong animal lover, always had dogs and cats and was in a family that loved animals, but didn't really spend time with horses until I was an adult. And I first discovered the healing power of horses at a wellness spa in Tucson called Miraval. And there's a gentleman there named Wyatt Webb who created something called the equine experience where you go interact with horses really to learn something about yourself, not to learn about the horses, but to let the horses teach you about yourself. Right. I went there and just had a life-changing experience. I couldn't believe how much the horses showed me things that I needed to see. And so it very gradual path of just first going and doing equine experiences for my own healing and then just being more and more drawn to them. Um, so eventually I found a um, the Tierra Madre Horse Sanctuary and started volunteering with my kids um, just to be around them so much and wanted to learn more. And ultimately, one of the reasons why horses are such powerful teachers for us is that they're prey animals. So they are naturally intuitive. Um, as prey animals in the wild, their number one focus is survival. So they naturally live in the present moment. They're completely guided by their intuition and their senses. And they're also very social creatures. They live in a herd because as prey animals, there is safety in numbers. So just by the way they live their life, 
and you know, act. We can learn a lot from them by example, but when we interact with them, when we pay close attention to how they respond to us, they show us a lot about how we do things in our everyday life because they're not responding to what we're thinking or what we're saying. They're responding to our body language and to the energy that we're projecting out. So they really become very powerful reflectors for us. And also, you know, when we pay close attention to how they behave and what they're doing, we have a tendency to describe things from our own story and our own history. So they can just help us in so many ways with self-awareness and checking in with ourselves and understanding how we go about doing things in our everyday life. Well, can you frame that for us by taking us back to that resort? Now, you said you had some really life-changing experiences. Did you, did you, you said you, you know, you'd always had experience with animals, but take us back to that experience at the resort before that, walking into that. What, what was that for you that was so life-changing? What happened there that really set you on this path? It's a great question. And interestingly enough, I can't say it was an experience where I loved what I saw, but it was such a powerful thing in seeing that what was going on in my head was not necessarily being reflected through my energy and my body language. Interesting. So um, with horses, they very much want to feel safe. And one of the things that makes them feel unsafe is confusion. And at the time, um, I was fairly early on into healing and recovery from an eating addiction um, and was beginning to discover some character traits about myself that I was a people pleaser um, and often um, and beginning to discover that people pleasing often can be manipulative when you don't even realize it is. Right. So as I was interacting with the horse, I just definitely was going into it at the time with a mindset of, oh, I really hope the horse likes me so he'll listen to me, which I can assure you is not the best approach with the horse. <laughs> um, but I still was in that mindset of, you know, if I want people to listen to me, they have to like me. Well, with a horse, it's not that at all. You have to be clear with your intention. And you have to lead, in my opinion, the way a good parent leads, by being clear, by having strong intention, by having boundaries, and by promising your child, or in the horse's case, the other members of the herd, that I am here to keep your, you safe and to keep your best interests in mind. So when you communicate with a horse, it's really about clarity. And if you don't have that clarity within yourself, it's hard to deliver that to a horse because you can't lie to a horse. They are responding to everything you are projecting. So as I was doing a simple task, of, I was being asked to lift the horse's hoof and clean it and put it back down. That was it. Very simple. Right. But I couldn't get the horse to lift its leg for me. I know now why. Because a horse lifting its leg as a prey animal is saying, I trust you, I feel safe. Because as a prey animal, what's the number one thing you want to do to feel safe? You want to know that you have an opportunity to flee if danger comes in your direction. Right. And if you are lifting a hoof, you lose the opportunity to do that. So a horse needs to trust you. Now, a horse doesn't necessarily need to trust you because it likes you. It just needs to trust you because you are projecting clear energy and basically communicating to them that they are safe in your presence because 
you are clear in your intentions. And at the time, as I struggled with getting the horse to lift the foot, I kept also doing something which I've, I've later learned and seen a lot of people do. I'd stop what I was doing and then pet the horse like, come on, come on, we can do this. Like as if um, maybe if I pet the horse after it didn't listen to me, it would again like me and lift its hoof. What I now know is I was rewarding the horse for not listening to me. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> because a horse has basically a three-second visual memory. So as soon as the horse didn't lift its foot and I would pet it, thinking that I was going to get it to like me and then lift the foot, I was actually doing the opposite. I was saying, thank you for not listening to me and not giving you my hook, you know, the hook. Right. So what was pointed out to me at the time was, um, you know, basically, how is people pleasing working for you? And I had done enough recovery on my own to understand that I was a people pleaser, that it was somewhat of a manipulative thing and it wasn't serving me in life. But the key thing I learned in that moment is it made me confusing. I was confusing in all of my relationships because I had become so focused on pleasing others. I had no clue what I wanted. Right. Um, what I wanted was either ignored, pushed down, you know, or just not even recognized. But the horse recognized it. The horse recognized that it was manipulation, not clear communication. And it wasn't until I left the experience with the horses that it really had the profound effects on me because I realized it, that whole focus on it's not about people pleasing it's about being clear made me realize how confusing my communication could be as a people pleaser so that even though in the quote-unquote real world we do most of our conscious communicating verbally there is so much we're taking in non-verbally again through body language but i think even more so through energy so as I was out communicating with people by focusing so much on their wants, needs, and desires, and either ignoring my own or not even being in touch with my own, I was probably communicating a mix of, I want to please you and resent you at the same time. Um, and again, it wasn't a conscious thing. It was um, something that I wasn't aware of. And that is, I think, really the the... Uh, incredible gift of interacting with horses is they bring up and show you very quickly those things you're not conscious of, but that you're doing a lot in your everyday life. And in my case at the time, I had a, a son or I have a son with autism, but that was kind of in the early intervention years. And I was very driven to make sure I was getting his needs met. And sometimes um, in being driven to make sure his needs were met, I had to really push and yet I still wanted people to like me when I was pushing to get my own way. Right, right. And I had, kind of had to let that go. And he gave me a great gift in that, that, you know, it's really none of my business whether people like me. But as his mom, I am his number one advocate. And I have to go out there and ask for what he needs. Um, but people don't have to like me in the process. In my expecting it to be both ways where I was going to get our needs met, you know, in the sense of him getting his need met and me getting my needs met as his advocate. I really didn't have a right to ask you to like me at the same time. So I paid close attention to areas in my life, both um, 
you know, in my personal relationships, in those relationships, to when I was people pleasing and how confusing it was. And I started really understanding that in trying to please others instead of myself, I was really pleasing nobody. See, this is so interesting that, you know, that one experience could have such a profound effect. And it gets me to think about this question in regards to, to that. When you stepped into that resort and had that amazing experience, where were you on your own path of personal and spiritual growth before you actually made it to that amazing place? Is it, was it something you were looking for or is it something you just encountered? A little bit of both. I was in a 12-step program for um, eating addiction. Right. And I was actively working it. Um, and I was early on a spiritual path because I spent many years not on a spiritual path at all. Very shut down um, in terms of spirituality. The only time I would really try to connect with what I now call my higher power was on airplanes because I was more afraid of flying than I was of my higher power. Oh. And all other times I was afraid of my higher power more than anything else. So I just took an approach of let's avoid, let's avoid. So I tried very much to not be on a spiritual path. Um, however, I had reconnected. I had reconnected through working steps in my 12-step program. And by just being desperate enough to say, maybe I should try this spiritual path was very much in the early stages of focusing on gratitude and trying to understand what a higher power could look like if it wasn't a scary figure to me. Um, And so I was beginning to really discover and have that, um, I don't know what the word is, but just that early joy that that comes from kind of rediscovering a spiritual path after you've avoided one for a long time. And I was very intrigued by uh, what I had heard about this equine experience at, at Miraval, but I hadn't, didn't really have any true understanding of what it was, just knew it was something I was drawn to. This is so important right here. This is such an important point for, for all of us who are out there and looking and searching. How did, this, how did that experience come to you? Did it come to you through a friend? You said it was through a friend or... Yeah, I had heard friends speak about the experience. Okay. And I read about it. Um, and then I went, it was it was um, one of those, you know, pivotal birthdays that ends in a zero. <laughs> so I was looking for, um, you know, a way to celebrate. And, and this was uh, a trip that my husband at the time um, gifted me. And we went and did the experience together. And um, it was very, very revealing. Never at the time did I think I would actually be doing the work myself. That evolved very much over time. But it was enough that it with me for several months. And it almost helped me more after, over those several months, where I would look for that pattern in my everyday life than it even helped me in the moment. Um, and, and it was powerful enough that it kind of catapulted part of my self-awareness and my discovery so that as I continued on the spiritual path, continued living a life based on the 12 steps and then seeking more, I ended up going back and doing the experience again. And what was beautiful is the first time I saw what I didn't like, the second time I got to see my growth and what I did like. And that was very powerful too, because that still happens to me on a daily basis. Even though I do this work now, I still always do it on myself. I'm constantly checking in with the horses just when I show up 
so that they can show me my energy for the day and what I want to see. And sometimes I really like what I see. And other times I go, ooh, I didn't know I was there today. But either way, it's this amazing way to check into the mirror, if you will, and not see the physical appearance, but see what's going on inside. I love that. We've had a lot of guests come on and, and, and talk about the idea of being drawn to something or listening to intuition, trusting your gut. I want you, if you could, maybe to talk more about the role of trusting your intuition, because it sounds like that was what really drew you to this. How, is, how have you thought about your intuition as you've been on this path? What else has it led you to? Well, I think I really discovered my intuition first in 12-step and re-becoming willing to re-establish a relationship with a higher power and discover what that higher power meant to me. And then one of the most, maybe even more profound than the horses, one of the most powerful things um, I started doing that allowed me to develop my intuition and discover how intuitive I was, was writing. I had heard a woman share at a retreat, somehow her higher power writes back to her. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. But it was the way she communicated her story with so much conviction, so much understanding, so much awareness, and so much honesty um, that I thought, wow, this woman really knows herself. And she's so honest about the sides of her that are vulnerable. And yet it comes across with such strength. So basically, she modeled for me something that I wanted to have. So I picked up a pen and a notebook. And I started writing to my higher power and I found the same thing, that something would write back to me. And I knew that, you know, a lot of people call this automatic writing. Some people call it channeling. Right. Um, you know, I think it's Neil Donald Walsh is probably the one who's most famous for it with his books, Conversations with God. But at the time, I knew of none of that. I just knew this woman had something I wanted for me. So I began writing and that is really how I discovered um the spiritual world, if you will, and it became as real to me as the physical world, that I knew I could write to what the time I called my higher power, but it sort of evolved into guides. But I knew that the energy of anything I tapped into through writing was very loving and would never hurt anyone, either myself or anyone else. But it was just a really powerful guiding voice, and that became the voice of my intuition. So I, you know, it would start off with simply, you know, dear God, if I chose to use that term today, what do you want me to know? And other times it was prompted by feelings. I'm very angry about this. I'm really hurting about this. Um, I'm feeling really excited about this. And just truly having a conversation through writing to get my answers. And I really find there's so much power between doing experiential work, you know, any kind of kinesthetic learning, whether it's you're someone who does challenge courses, or in my case, I think the horses provide the best experiential opportunities we have because we get to watch our behaviors and what we do, but we also get to um, get immediate feedback on the energy we're projecting out. But if you take that experiential work and then write to something higher, a higher power, your soul, whether inner, um, inner child work, whatever you choose for it to be, you'll get so much more insight and, and deeper answers to why you do the things you do. You, you, you followed your intuition and it sort of led you 
closer to your intuition. And it gets me to wonder, how does this translate now into your work with coaching clients? Because your path is marked by such marked points in your history that we can look at and say, wow, this is just what an amazing place. What an amazing turning point. When you have clients coming to you now and they're, they're in confusion or they're in avoidance, how do you bring all those lessons to that client and help guide them down that path for themselves where they can start to hear that voice and, and have those feelings of confidence? Um, it's a great question. And I, I look at it this way. Everything I do in my coaching sessions is something I would do on myself first. Right. I take bits and pieces of everything that ever worked for me and then I offer it to others. And number one, I'm, I'm not a coach that will promise you results. Right. The only thing I promise you is an opportunity to look at yourself and to use tools to go to the next step. So let's say you're not getting the results you want. I think that it's really powerful to find out why. And I think sometimes um, the reason why you're not getting the results that you think you really want is that most of us are incongruent in some ways. We may want and not want the same thing at the same time. In other words, um, you know, a lot of writers are introverts. So a lot of writers want to write a fabulous book and have a bestseller. But mm, as introverts, they don't necessarily want to go out and promote the book. Right. So you really have to check in and find out what's the stronger thing. On the surface, it may be that I really want something, but beneath the surface, there may be reasons and very valid reasons why I don't want it. What my work allows you to do is look in the mirror, see yourself, and then go home and spend some time with it through writing so that you can discover what what your answers are. I don't like to provide answers for people. I like to provide tools and opportunities for them to find their own answers. And I think as someone who spent years focusing on um, the end result or achievement, what I've come to discover through my own um, journey and through my work is that it's, it's you can have an intention and it's very good to have an intention of, or a goal. But really, it's about what's the next thing you're going to do? What's the next step? Because we reach our intentions and our goals um, by doing the next right thing, not by focusing as much on the end result, but by focusing on the right next step. How does that look with the horses? How do, do clients come to you specifically to work with the horses? Because that's a really powerful tool. Because sometimes I think we, 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 when we picture coaching or we picture therapy of any kind, we imagine ourselves going to an office setting you know, sometimes it can be very sterile. There's always that image of a person with a pad or if it's a coaching office, you know, it's this quiet space and it's kind of very zen for people to get, you know, get into the space. How do your clients react when they come to the horse, when they come to that surrounding? What's, what's, what does that look like? Um, you know, it's interesting because a lot of them walk in going, I'm not sure what this is all about, but I'm intrigued. Right. And that's, Exactly how I showed up when I did my first equine experience. I'm intrigued. Something sent me here. I want to be here, but I don't even know what to expect. And most of the sessions unfold organically. I can say sometimes people show up and just the energy of 30 horses at the sanctuary brings something up in them. And within a few minutes, it doesn't, I don't even, it's almost like I don't even have to be there. Just being surrounded by the horses and that energy can bring things to the surface, can bring up tears, can bring up 
feelings. But other times it's slower and it's more about observing your response to the horse instead of observing the horse's response to you. Um, we do focus a lot on mindfulness. We focus a lot on learning to tap into instead of your intellect. Because I know for myself and for most of the adults I've met, we do things intellectually because that's how we've been trained through right. all of our years of education. So I'll often hear people say, well, I haven't spent much time with horses and I haven't really studied them. So I'm not sure what to do. And then they'll look at me to tell them what to do. And what I prefer to do is turn that moment around and say, just trust yourself in the moment. Let the horse guide you. Let your feelings be an indication of what the horse is feeling. Because again, as a prey animal, they're sensing your feelings and your feelings are kind of co-mingling, if you will. I also like to just point out, it's amazing how pointing out what people say or do without telling them the why, but just showing them, did you notice that you picked the horse that was standing back at the back of the stall instead of the front of the stall? You know any particular reason why you did this, or I heard you say. And I think just by showing people their own behavior or repeating back to them what they're saying about the horse allows them to go, oh yeah, I did pick that horse because it was standing back and I thought maybe it was sad and it needed me. You thought it was sad and it needed you? You know, someone might hear that then and go, yeah, I guess I did. And, and it's then it's kind of that gradual realization is, is that why I pick my relationships in my everyday life? Do I pick the horse that's at the front of the stall because it's interested in me? Or do I pick the horse that's in the back of the stall because maybe it's lonely? You know, simply by pointing out the behavior and what we're saying, people can get their own answers because we all have our own answers within. It's just a matter of slowing down and taking the time to hear ourselves, taking the time to see ourselves. And then by doing so, intuitively, we tend to have our own answers. We don't need to study horses. We need to check in with ourselves in the moment to use our intuition. Now, I mean, I, I should take that back because I say we don't need to study horses. I think there's a really great balance between learning some things intellectually. It always helps to get a book and, and learn something about the horses. But, but I would rather get the book after and learn directly from the horse first. In other words, if you're grooming a horse, a horse will tell you what feels good and what doesn't feel good to them. And you can learn to listen to the horse without having a book. Right, right. Because I think back to the themes that you touched on about avoidance and confusion. And then on the flip side of that would be trust and intuition. And I think so many of us walk around, so many of us, all of us probably <laughs> walk around, at least in some area of our lives, with certain things we just were either avoiding some past pain or guilt or regrets, or we're confused about the next step to take in the future. And I think when we learn to develop these tools of trust and intuition, they can, you know, quite simply guide us. If we trust that what happened back there maybe was for a reason, and we intuit the next step, like these horses you're talking about, life tells us how we are. Life is that mirror. My listeners have heard me say that a lot. So I think this is really interesting how you set avoidance and confusion off against trust and intuition. What, do you th what are your thoughts about that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the avoidance and confusion is we don't know the next step and then we don't trust ourselves to take it. Um, most 
adults from what I can see and myself very much included. I mean, I, I, I do the work that I need to do more on myself and I do it constantly because I'm fascinated by it. But, you know, most of us have learned that we will do better by being three steps ahead, by anticipating what's going to come next. Right. And what we learn from the horse is to trust ourselves in the moment instead, that we don't have to have the answers in advance. We can get them in the moment. Right. Right. And that leads me now to this, this question I ask all our guests, because this is so much here. So what's a tip or tool that you can offer our listeners that they can use right now, right when this podcast ends, from all of your experience, something special that's really helped you? I think the most important thing um, is to thine own self be true. The spiritual path is a very personal path, and we don't all need to travel the same way. So if you are feeling something opening in you, whether you're new to spirituality or very experienced in, in, you know, in your own journey and very self-aware, focus on what you're drawn to, not what you think you should do. So you may hear, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about the power of meditation and mindfulness. And while I certainly believe in both and I love to meditate and I love to focus on mindfulness, I didn't start there. Right. When I first started getting on the path, I needed a more kinesthetic approach. So I learned to meditate first by going to yoga. And then like a one minute Shavasana was about all the meditation I could take in the beginning. Right. Or meditation for me was hiking. Meditation for me is still doing higher power writing because when I do that form of writing, I definitely feel like I get into a kind of an altered or higher state, a real peaceful state. And I sometimes find after I do that writing, I'm tired. Like it takes something energetically out of me, but then it fills me up with a healthier energy and the answers that I need. So especially if you're new to the path, just do the next thing you're drawn to. And if you take a step on the path, I believe what, you know, there's this, the saying, whatever you're seeking is seeking you. So just take the next step in terms of if you find someone you're drawn to, trust that. If you can't meditate, but you can hike, trust that. Because we each have our own individual path. And I think that's the beauty of spirituality. We get to follow our own individual path. And I, I think that's such powerful advice because you, you said something that's really become, I think, the hallmark of this next extension of where, we, where we're going in the world, which is it's not one size fits all. And you're right. We're so inundated. And I said this before on the show. We're so inundated right now with articles about the power of mindfulness, the power of meditation. But it isn't always, I think we get that image in our head of a guru in a cave. And it doesn't have to be that way. I, I can remember those memories of riding that horse at my uncle's farm. I was so focused. When you're riding a horse, you're paying attention. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's like when you start to drive for the first time, you're paying attention. And I think m being mindful can happen in the midst of activity. It's not just when you're sitting quietly, you're being mindful of your thoughts. It's being doing conscious yard work, riding a horse for the first time and, and hearing the noises and, and, and feeling that feeling. So I think that's very powerful advice. And I really, I really thank you for that very much. Oh, thank you. So I want to take this opportunity to thank Christine for her time and her insights. Thank you again, Christine, so much. 
Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. And I want you all listening to remember companionship is important on this journey of life. If you're wanting more of that, reach out to groups in your area, volunteer, find people who are on the same path as you, get to know them, talk to them, learn from them. And if you're lucky enough to have an animal companion in your life, well, take notes on how they provide unconditional love to you. And you can find out more about Christine at equineexperientialcoaching.com and tierramadrehorsesanctuary.org. Those links will be in our show notes at nobodysview.com. And thank you again for your time, Christine. And remember, you can always find out more about what we're doing at nobodysview.com or the nobodybible.com, or you can reach out to us on Twitter and Facebook at Nobody's View or join our Facebook community, Simple Spirituality. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please consider a review or a subscription. We'd really appreciate it. Keep practicing and have a good week.